I don't know if you've heard of the trust equation, Alex, but uh, I haven't. Well, let me tell you. And I've read a lot of sales books too, but I have never heard of the trust equation. So it's actually a formula, and and forgive me because people aren't formulaic, but it's just more of a of a of a description of the things that come to build trust in a psychological interchange between two people, and um, and they are. Uh, I think the formula from memory goes: it's uh, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy uh, divided by self-orientation, right? So in other okay. words, you've got to have lots of credibility, lots of reliability, be very intimate and and not be so focused around what you want, but what the client wants, right? So the inverse. You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, a digital growth consultancy that helps global and national businesses attract, acquire, and retain customers through digital marketing. This episode is a discussion with Gus Kidoga, head of cognitive applications at IBM and one of the best sales professionals I know. We talk about sales strategy, leading sales teams, selling into enterprise and everything in between. So let's get into it. All right. So today we're talking with a man, a man named Gus Kidoga. Kiroga, right? Is it Kiroga? That, that will do, and I think that's pretty close. I get also, How do you say it? I'd say Kiroga. Kiroga. He's the head of cognitive applications at IBM, and he's one of the best salespeople that I've ever met. Um, I first met Gus through my co-founder, Paul Sprockreef, and he said, there's this guy I know, he's pretty good at sales, and I'm thinking that um, he should come and train up our sales team here. I was like, yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, of course. How good could he be? Anyway, we were in Melbourne at the time and you came down and you did a session for four hours on selling into enterprise. And the insight that you gave was just unbelievable. We were just like, wow, okay, this guy, he knows his stuff, right? That was my first experience. Second experience was, this is a few years ago, back when Experian, um, you could get Experian information into Facebook, right? And funnily enough, you were leading a sales team there as well. Um, and a lot of the people there were doing these techniques. I was like, these are really good techniques. These are really good approaches. And then I'd found out only afterwards, oh, that's Gus who's leading that team, right? And you are one of um, the most charismatic salespeople that I've ever met. Yeah, you're relaxed, you're fun, but you know your stuff. Right. And so today I'm super excited to do a deep dive into sales right now. I have an agenda of things I want to cover. Um, I've shared some of the, the information with you, haven't I Gus? And you yeah. said, wow, we're going to need way more time than this. Right. Um, but I'm hoping at the end of all this, that there's a really solid information around sales strategy and around actually how to lead a sales team and then everything in between. Um, that's my intro. How's the intro? You've set a very high bar. All of the <laughs> accolades will get you everywhere, but now I'm under pressure to deliver. So let's go for it. <laughs> no. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. Let's start with sales strategy. Yeah. Let's start with sales. Um, how do you define sales? Oh God. Uh, sales is uh, part science. It's part um, psychology. But if anything, if I can encapsulate it in one thing, it's about matching value to need. That, that, that is sales in a nutshell. Uh, understanding what 
customers what people need and what they don't even know they need and matching that to something that you or someone that you work with, be it someone in your organization or a business partner has to offer. So us as sales professionals are in the business of matching need to offer or solution. And so, and so how do you identify that value, that need? Yeah. I say, for example, that you're stepping into, to a consulting, um, a consulting uh, role of some sort, you come to us and you trying to figure out the best way to sell to the customers that we want to sell to. Uh, how do you approach that? Look, I, I think um, the, the heart of that question is, is one of the real traits of great, well-rounded professionals is that we listen. And uh, we listen to the market. We listen to our customers. We listen to our competitors and we listen to our colleagues. So uh, whilst it's not a good idea to have a preconceived idea of how you're going to help your client, it is a good idea to have a preconceived idea of how you might be able to help, help your client. Um, so going in to visit a customer, particularly when we're talking about the first time that we visit, you've got to research. You've got to understand that customer. You've got to understand that customer in the market. And you've got to understand what noise they're making about, where they're heading, what their direction is. So you have a narrative that is relevant and engages you in their value cycle. So how do you identify what the need is? You may have some idea if you're listening to the market, but then it will go back to some of the classic sales approaches, which is building that trust so that the customer will share what really is out and what their problems are. Like how do you kind of conduct that research? Like in that first instance? Yeah. yeah. I say, for example, like if there's course, cool. so say for example, I, Kind of, as I spoke with you, and I was like, "Hey, look, like I've got this company. There's an issue with sales. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. not selling enough. Yeah? yeah, that's going to be a common thing everywhere, right? We're not yeah. selling enough, and yeah. we need to fix it. Yeah. What's the first thing, like in that process, of you know, to fix a sales problem? Yeah. So, so in this case, you're talking about uh, someone that has perhaps reached out to me to offer them some help in, in sales consulting capacity to, mm. to reinvigorate or to identify how we could make that sales organization stronger. Mm. I think the first process in really understanding it, apart from, of course, talking to, to the leaders and getting their point of view as to what they see, is actually embedding yourself in the journey, going out with customer, going out with the salespeople, seeing them engage with customers, seeing them in the office, just watching, observing, and getting a first-hand view day-to-day of what's happening. Now, that, mm-hmm. here we're talking about uh, observing to consult on a process, and that mm. process is a sales process. But it applies just the same if, for example, you're talking to a customer that you may be selling some marketing software, for argument's sake. Um, they may not they may or may not already have a, a piece of technology, but there's great insight in sitting down and seeing how they're using it, understanding where are the opportunities to make it better? What frustrations are they having? What's the commentary around the organization and the team with the software? What about the people that depend on the outcomes of that software? What are they saying they're getting from it? So there is an opportunity always when, when, when you answer that question as to what do you do first, 
if you have that trust and you have that engagement with the customer to go in and actually take uh, an observer's role to get deep mm-hmm. in what it is that you might be able to do to help. Unless they're yeah, unless right. done it and they can give it to or give it to you on a paper, which is, you know, Nirvana. But that's rare, isn't it? Yes. That's rare. Doesn't that's it? rare. I mean, it, it seems to me that there's a really big challenge in really understanding what the customer actually wants, that they're not telling you they want. They, they say this thing over here is what they want, but what they actually want, they're not saying, right? How do you identify those hot buttons or the things that you know you need to know to sell to them, but they're not telling you? Yeah. Look, I think you have to uh, follow the journey, follow the bouncing ball with customers. So whatever they ask you, um, whatever they say, hey, um, I've got a problem with my invoicing. I'm just picking something random, you know, um, well, what's, what's the problem with your invoicing? Uh, we're getting too many mismatches between what we've uh, actually sold and what we invoice, which creates problems. Okay. Um, well, why is that problem happening? because this and why is that happening because that and who's involved in that so you've got to kind of follow the bouncing ball and take it all the way to the process and at each point you've got to ask a very critical question and what's the impact of that and how is that important to you right and you you kind of start to uncover you you take a problem and you spread it out into its dimensions and you start to find the things that actually are having the most impact and that the customer may themselves not even realise, right? They're just looking at it from this macro problem, mismatch of money out to money in. Mm. Have you really looked at what, what, where it's happening and what the real impact of that is? So would you say that, that this is, because I don't want to put any words in your mouth because I probably would get them wrong. <laughs> so I'm trying to ask the right questions. But you go in, in the beginning, like, like in any role, like if you're being hired for some reason or kind of have a ta- like a task to sell to this specific segment, yeah. the, the first part is to ask tons of questions to the people that you're trying to sell to. Is that right? Like you just want to ask lots and lots of questions? Yeah, uh, there's a da- yes and no, right? There's a danger in that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm going to explain why. Um, so if, if you pick up one of those classic sales books, they'll tell you about uh, qualification is what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's lots of questions and there's ways to answer questions, open questions, closed questions, you know, uh, suggested questions um, and so on and so forth. The problem that I find with that approach today is that it, it is a too, too much of a blanket approach, whereas you need to understand the individual customer. Think about some of the large organisations out there that have got 20 different sales reps calling them every day and say, hey, I'd like to ask you 20 questions about your problems. They just don't have time for that. Mm. So more and more, and this comes back to the first point about research, about how you engage, more and more the customers are expecting that you know a little bit already. So you can't go in there asking 20 questions. So for example, um, you know, where, whether it be selling a marketing solution, an invoicing solution, uh, selling a printer, wh- whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You need to understand somewhat about the types of challenges that that type of customer would face or about the types of opportunities that that type of customer is missing out on. And you need to take that opinion. You need to bring that to the party. 
If you don't, then you are the in the disparaging sense of the word, a salesman. You're mm-hmm. not embedding yourself in the customer's value chain. So don't ask, don't, don't, I, I don't subscribe to the ask a hundred questions. I subscribe to the come with come with value and come with an opinion and get that validated with the client and then explore from that point on. Got it. And so you need to do your own research and you need to come up with some assumptions on what you think is going to be the best approach, the best, yeah. the best way in. Is that right? And then well, you're quickly going to know if it's right or not because of how they respond. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, the, the, the salient point there is not coming with a solution in mind when you don't know the problem. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it's out there. Hey, I realize that um, you've had an issue with um, um, anti-money laundering and there's been significant breaches caused by X. We've been doing this for these and these and these organizations. The outcome of that with this, I'd like to come and talk to you about how we can, how that would work in your organization. Great. There's kind of already preconceiving a solution, but in other instances, it's not so black and white. And so you may need to point to sort of uh, more generic uh, known challenges in the industry, such as, hey, I understand that, uh, let's, let's talk about a printer. I understand that, um, you know, paper consumption and, um, and refulfillment is becoming onerous, particularly with the issues around mobility. Uh, is this something that is of concern to you? And would you like to talk to us about how we can help you, right? They'll tell you yes. Or no, if you have the right level yeah. of trust, if you've created trust with the, with the customer. And if they say no, that's fine. You move on, right? Yeah, sure. You know what's really interesting is that the first example that you gave about the anti-money laundering thing is like the structure of the perfect outreach email, you know? Like <laughs> that's the structure of the outreach emails I do. That's the ones I've seen perform the best. And so you just said it just off the top of your head. And I just want everyone who's listening to just transcribe what he just said and put that into an outreach email. That stuff works. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. There's different kinds of sales approaches, techniques and so on. And sales has had a bad rap because of car salesmen and, yeah. What's that one? Um, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. That was the one I was trying to think about. Yes. I know them all. You want the good leads? You want <laughs> the good leads? See this watch? <laughs> so it's had a bad rap because of that, but it changed since the 70s, hasn't it? It's changed quite a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, because how has it changed uh, since the 70s? You know, especially like in the last, yeah. say, five, 10 years as well. I, I think how it's changed is that um, uh, sales has been finally and, and not quite there yet, but I think people are starting to appreciate that it is a profession, that it's actually a career path that you follow from graduate entry right until the end. Um, you know, I'm seeing now, for example, even in some of the, one of the organisations that I work with, you know, we see 50 and 60-year-old sales reps. Now, these are guys that, and, and sorry, guys I say in the generic sense, these are people that uh, could have easily branched out into leadership or running their own business, but no, they have decided that sales is a profession that they want to follow. And there's a very good reason for that. Sales is, is, a, is part art and it's part science and people are appreciating the complexities 
of actually being successful. So they know that it's a lifetime career journey to get really good at it. I've been doing this for a long time, but I continue to sharpen my blade. I go back to some of the basic stuff that I learned 20 years ago and I think I'm forgetting some basics. But I'm also learning about new things because it's complex because how you sell in a channel is different to how you sell on the phone, to how you sell direct, to how you sell to big business, to how you sell to small business. So I think that that complexity and the importance of sales, sales structure and sales uh, alignment to purpose has been well understood. And so now it is more respected as a profession and the way that we hire into it is critical. You know, before, and I remember uh, sadly not, not too many years ago, uh, I would hear people say, oh, that guy, he's got the gift of the gab. We should be in sales. Guys, we are not in 1970s Glen Glenn Ross. <laughs> gift of the gab is probably a detriment because it means you're too enamored with your own voice and you're not listening. <laughs> right, so, yeah, right. Because it's become a profession and people appreciate the complexity of it and the difficulty of actually excelling in the profession. Um, and yet, because I do hear you and, you know, like, let me start by saying I'm the first person to say that like, I respect sales. I like the word sales. Mm. I think it's a positive word. I think it's a word that, that like it represents the lifeblood of the capitalist societies, right? Like it's something that is, that should be kind of, put up on a pedestal, right? Um, but lots of salespeople still don't want to be called salespeople. They want to be called consultants. They want to be called this. They want to be called that because I think they feel that the people that they're going to talk to, they don't want to be sold. Is there something in that still? Or yeah. is there something in that? And so, you know, this, this uh, tin man generation, it's only a generation ago. It's actually in my generation. It was when I was starting off in the profession of sales. So that's not gonna go away quickly. Um, and, and I think that it's going to take still a number of years. And, and for instance, right, there is still no professional degree called Bachelor of Sales. Yet, you have to be proficient in finance, in marketing, in psychology, in behaviors. So it's going to take some time. There are some degrees that are starting. I've seen some out of the US, some out of the UK, but it's, there's no profession. Until there is a profession form which is called Bachelor of Sales, I think we're going to struggle to get that, that respect. Um, and there is a negative connotation with the word. But more people need to go out there and embrace it and just understand that they are part of the value chain and that your job is not to convince customers. It's not. Your job is to add value to customers. And if you don't, then get out, go find another customer and don't waste mm. people's time. Right, so, so there is a negative connotation, but here's the funny thing, right? Um, have you heard of the company Atlassian? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Once or twice, once or twice, yeah. So they, they got, they've got this, they're very proud to say, oh, we don't hire salespeople. And I think, what an absolute joke, you know? <laughs> Everybody hires salespeople. You just don't give them the title of salespeople. Got it. Everybody, everybody sells. And I think that's the big thing that people need to understand. Everybody sells. When you send out an invoice 
and your accounts payable person talks to the customer about paying, they're in the sales process because they're affecting the value chain, which is the credibility of the organization, the customer service, the respect with which we treat customers, and therefore the trust that comes back to you as an organization. It's the end of the value chain as we deliver it to customers. You know, mm. the, the, the person that, um, that uh, processes your order, uh, the guy that delivers the phone, they're mm. all part of the sales process and people need to get this. You start selling, and, and, and I, I remember I went and did this negotiation course about 10 years ago, and it was a real epiphany moment for me. They asked this question. It was about negotiation, part of sales. Mm-hmm. When do you start? When do you start? When does the negotiation start? And we mm. asked the whole room, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, it was all, and it was like, oh, when you, when you put the contract in front of them or when you give them a price or when you walk into the room uh, and you start talking about the deal. And, uh, and all sorts of answers. And by the way, do you know when a negotiation starts? Oh, um, let's have a guess so I can be publicly um, told <laughs> it's wrong. Um, <laughs> I think the negotiation starts when the first communication is sent off. Bang. With, uh, uh, call it a communication. Did I get it right? Absolutely. Oh, when, cool. Uh, well, you know, in, in the digital world... I've been doing some riddles with my seven-year-old son. So like, I'm always looking for like, what's the thing I'm not thinking about, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, good, good. That was abstract thinking at its best. <laughs> so, in, and in the digital world, it is when the first communication goes off. But sort of in the, in the pre-COVID world, it's when you first meet the customer. That's when the, communica- that's when the negotiation starts. And really what that tells you is that sales is not about just wheeling and dealing. Let me, let me not tell you the price I want and let me try and get the most out of you. It's about mm-hmm. meeting a customer and the first time you meet, establishing trust so that you can engage openly and credibly for mutual benefit, for mutual yeah. and if yeah, right. You know, and if there is none, you can still have the trust and you walk away and come back another day when you've got something to offer or when they've got something they need. That's awesome. There's a couple of points, but I think let's just focus on that trust thing. What are some ways, what are some tactical things that the people that are listening to this podcast can listen to mm-hmm. on what they can do to accelerate that trust building process? If yeah, there's so- a process to accelerate it, you know? Oh, well, they're, they're, you know, um, so this is part of the science um, of, uh, of selling and and for those that are listening, they would have heard perhaps of what we refer to in the profession as the trust equation. I don't know if you've heard of the trust equation, Alex, but... Uh, I haven't. Well, let me tell you. And I've read a lot of sales books too, but I have never heard of the trust equation. So it's actually a formula and, and forgive me because people aren't formulaic, but it's just more of a, of a, of a description of the things that come to build trust in a psychological interchange between two people. And, um, and they are, uh, I think the formula from memory goes, it's uh, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy uh, divided by self-orientation, right? So in other okay. words, you've got to have lots of credibility, lots of reliability, be very intimate and, and not be so focused around what you want, but what the client wants, right? So the inverse. To answer your question, if that's what the trust equation is, then how do you build trust um, in a mechanical way is that you've got to work on your credibility. 
first and foremost, right? So how do you go about building credibility? That actually starts before you meet the customer. And, you know, we hear a lot about social selling and social profiling and all that sort of stuff. But if you're on LinkedIn or you're on Facebook and all this sort of stuff, then, you know, you've got to be develop some sort of subject matter expertise. It also is with the way that you engage customers and you're bringing something that shows that you are credible or knowledgeable in the space, reliable. If you make a commitment, you stick to it or you don't overpromise when you can't deliver or you underpromise and you underdeliver. Intimacy, you know, you actually are, you are genuinely engaged. And, and I mean genuinely, right? Customers are too smart. They'll work out, you're, you're saying, really, tell me about that. Wow, it just that's just this, <laughs> and the customers will pick that up. Genuine intimacy is when you've actually shown that you've taken time to understand, to research, and to find out not just about the business process, but the emotional process that the customers are going through in conducting their activities. Mm-hmm. And self orientation is, you know, I, I look at self orientation is it's about. What's in it for you? Not, not what's in it for me, the person that's in selling, but what's in it for you. So I really need to turn up thinking I can help you, right? Not mm. Mm, if I get this deal, that's going to push me up to my multipliers and I'm going to get massive comms. I'm going to get this deal at any cost. I'm going to work it out. I don't care because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jam this deal into this client. I'm going to make them buy it. And then in six months later, I go, why did I buy this? What did I need that for? Yeah. Trust is gone out the window. You'll get the one sale, but you won't get the second one. And great salespeople are talking, are thinking about the second and the third. So that, that sort of, I think just very briefly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's captures trust. Yeah. That's really good. And you know, that example, which you just kind of just gave about the bad example of, you know, to make yeah. the sale. That sounds like the last time that I bought a car. <laughs> That's what that sounds like, right? Um, but you kind of want the car, so you're kind of saying, hey, there's something I want, but that whole process is accelerated into two or three hours sometimes, and then you yeah. walk out with the car. But the more complex stuff, like if you're selling to enterprise or to companies or you know to businesses and so on, it's, it's a lot more, um, it's like a longer term, I yeah. guess, like engagement, isn't it? Um, but let's just jump quickly then to... Like, kind of, how does selling change depending on who you're selling to? Like, if you're selling to a small business or to an enterprise or to this specific industry or that industry, yeah. like, does it change? And if so, uh, how? Yeah, look, um, selling does change in the approach, in who you engage with, how you engage, who you bring into the sales process with you but there is fundamentally it shouldn't change what what it is it's degrees of complexity and amount of length right so mm-hmm. let me talk i think first of all and more importantly about what, what's consistent across sales consistently mm-hmm. across sales irrespective of the size of the organization is as i said sort of matching matching offer to, to value right uh to need um and so you've got to always be thinking how do I become part of the customer's value chain? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that's a very short process uh, because you're dealing with a small organization with a small value 
uh, item and so the decisions can be very quick, but there's still a value exchange um, in that process. That's the first thing. Now, thinking about it in terms of what's fundamentally different, let's say, first of all, large organisation, small organisation. Um, in a large organisation, for more complex products, because it's not always a complex product into a large organisation, they still mm -hmm. buy pens and, and staplers, believe it or not, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but if we talk about a large organization in, into a complex model, the biggest difference, I think, is that you have a multiple stakeholder engagement. What that means is that there are different people engaged in the buying decision. You do have an economic owner. So there is someone that owns a budget. But you might have a technical owner, someone that specifies, that, that specifies the requirements. You may have influencers people that are users or are trusted parties within the organisation who may have an opinion as to what's right. That may, may not necessarily be functional. It may be perception. It may be relationship. It may be credibility. You know, there is trust with this organisation or that individual. Mm -hmm. um, and you have uh, sign-offs, you know, people that need to assume the risk ultimately for what is purchased because it has impact across the organization um, and, and, and so on and so forth, right? We can, mm -hmm. we can, so, so um, that's the first thing about uh, large organizations. You've got multi-stakeholder engagement. The other thing, and I think the one, this is a big one that, that inexperienced sales professionals miss out on is that there is an organizational hierarchy in large organizations, in large enterprises, but there is also a political hierarchy. So what that means is, you know, you, you might deal with the office manager who reports to the uh, sales manager who reports to the general manager who reports to the CEO, organizational hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But it really turns out that in the political hierarchy, the office manager is best friends with the CEO and the office manager is the person that is actually pulling the strings, uh, hypothetical, right? Yep. Or, you know, there is a external consultant who is not in the organizational hierarchy, but is a really strong trusted advisor. Are you talking to that consultant? Because mm. if you're not, you've missed it, right? Mm. Um, there is also things that happen, not because they are the best thing for the organization, but because they're the best thing for the people in that organization or the person. Do you understand mm. what is that motivation? Is it because the person doesn't want to be exposed? Is it because if this fails, that person doesn't want to have to carry the can? Do you understand mm. politics of the organization? So this is big business, right? Politics, an organization, multi-stakeholder engagement for mm. complex products. Right. I think in, in the smaller organizations, those things generally don't exist. The smaller you get, and I'm going to write down to micro, so hose, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're basically dealing with the top almost always. Um, as, you, as you get smaller, you're more likely to deal with the top. And, uh, and then it becomes a question of, more a question of the, uh, the personality, I believe, the personality profile of that buyer. Are they risk averse? Are they entrepreneurial? <laughs> <laughs> Are they the kind of person that says, hey, um, I need to buy this uh, accounting software. It needs to do this for me. And if I can get it under $100 a month, I'm done. 
you ring up, hey, I've got this software, $90. It's recommended by, by you know, this magazine and uh, it's going to be up there. Okay, great, done. Where do I sign? Low involvement, low engagement. They, they know what they want. Mm-hmm. Others may, for, even if it's $90, let me go, let me check MYOB, let me check, uh, my, uh, you know, all of the other different products that are out there, zero, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let me check all of the features, let me check the terms and conditions, and you spent three months selling a $90 a month subscription. So it then becomes a question of this, I think, the psychology of the buyer that you're engaging with more prominently than the the political and organizational hierarchy of a buying group. Yeah, okay. So the sales process is essentially the same. The length in terms of the follow-up or the communication, that's factor one. The number of people which you need to sell into, that's yeah. factor two. So the yeah. smaller the company yeah. and the shorter the sale, the yeah. faster the process. Yeah. And the longer, the bigger the sale or the more complex, the longer the sale. And then you have risk that if you're going to the wrong company and you're spending six months, yeah. but that's the wrong one, then that's where it's kind of like higher stakes, right? Because if you get that level wrong, you've lost a year of opportunity costs of success of your organization, right? Correct, correct. Look, I I want to add that there is a third point and then I'll come back and tackle that that comment that you made because it's a very good one. Um, The the third point about enterprise selling that I forgot to mention is that it's not just lots of people on the buyer side, it's actually lots of people on the sales side. When you sell into an organization, into an enterprise for complex products, you are not just the one person. You've got to bring your technical people, your accounts people, your consultants, uh, uh, different subject matter experts, your executive sponsors. You know, there's a, there's a complex engagement mm-hmm. as well that comes to build that trust and that credibility, that intimacy, all of those uh, aspects that I described. They're not vested in one person. It's truly organisational. So it is far more difficult, particularly when you're talking about doing a $50 million a year deal, right, which is a big decision, very different to buying a $50 a month accounting package. Mm-hmm. Right? So, because the risk reward is huge. So it, it's, it's a very different process. Um, and just to be clear, you've had that level of experience trying to sell that size of a deal. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I just want to put that out there clearly for people that are listening. Um, just, just think the complexity of trying to get our company to sign a contract for 50 mil, right? That's think how hard it is for five grand. That's <laughs> right. 50 mil. So like that just gives context into the information that's coming from Gus, you know, right now. And, you know, just like, it's really, really important to understand like, his experience here. What do you see as some of the, the biggest mistakes that you see like in this process, this sales process? Mistakes that people make. Number one is not properly researching uh, the client to understand whether in fact you have something to offer. This is kind of going in with happy eyes and saying, but my product is so good, everybody wants it. Or my service is so compelling, everybody wants it. Maybe, but mm. not now or not at that price level or not at that degree of complexity, whatever, whatever it is, right? Mm. So I think that the first mistake is, is having happy eyes and say, we're so good, you know, everybody wants it. It's kind of an arrogance thing. Um, 
there's also an arrogance thing at the individual level where where sellers go in not listening uh so they are just getting pushed by their managers i want the quota i want the sale which of the top clients are going to deliver this month uh i'm going to close coca-cola and i'm going to close agl okay great gus what's happening with agl oh but the client said uh they're not i don't care make it happen that's the other mistake is not understanding the client's buying cycle and their buying need. You can create incentives. You can say, hey, man, you know, the, the, the sort of the lowbrow incentive is it's a, it's, it's a million bucks, you know. If you, I know you want to buy it in July, but if you sign off in June, I'll give it to you for 800000 That's kind of very weak selling, but it happens, and I know it happens because it means the organisation can then book the revenue and everybody mm-hmm. So you can create incentives, but ultimately the client will determine if that $200,000 is enough of an incentive to buy something now that they don't really need now. They need it in mm-hmm. July. So the, the second biggest mistake is kind of trying to force the client off their natural path without demonstrating true value. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I say? There are, there are so many things that, that I see out there. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, um, demeaning the competition. Mm. Don't do your integrity any help if you go out there and bag the competition. Say, hey, uh, Alex, you know why you should buy my company? Because that company is so shit. <laughs> doesn't work. That just looks really bad on you. It means that you don't have anything good to say about your own company that will compel me. You just want to focus on what they're bad at. And guess what? My brother works at that company. So you're bagging my brother, right? Mm. I mean, I'm just giving an example of silly things. That, that stuff happen. can happen though. That stuff does happen all the time. Uh, it happens all the time. world. So you, you never go out there with negativity, you know, you know, negative selling or bad press selling, you, you leave that to the politicians, right? That's Labor versus Liberal. That's Democrat <laughs> versus Republicans, right? Not in business. Yeah, okay. That, that's, yeah, no, that's good. And I'm sure that, that but there's like, um, you know, like, like a lot more there, but that's really good. Um, there there are three things that I wouldn't have chosen, you know, like I would have gone, they're not making enough calls and not doing this, not doing that. But, but this is more strategic in terms it's of actually how you approach. And, and, and look, yeah. And you're, I mean, you make a valid point. I mean, but these things, um, you know, I, I think about it in terms of the hierarchy of high performance is, is mm-hmm. what I'm referring to it. And I've always said that if, if I am your leader, and if I'm your manager and I'm invested in making you successful, if I'm having a conversation, apart from you just started the job, and mm-hmm. if I'm having a conversation with you about, uh, Alex, how come you haven't made 50 calls today, assuming that's the sales uh, methodology or approach you, you, you're taking, then it means that there is a fundamental problem. If, or if my coaching is about how many calls have you made? There's a mm-hmm. fundamental problem with the seller, with the product, with the offer, or with your leadership. We should not be at that, at the bottom of the high-performance hierarchy. We should be at the top of the high-performance hierarchy, which is where we coach, where we talk about, you know, what's been the perception of the customer, what is their 
buying cycle? What are you thinking of doing? How have you approached this? What would you suggest we could do differently? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Looking at that level, you're talking at the top of the high performance hierarchy. So that's why I focus on that. If I'm talking about that, then I, they probably shouldn't be in my team unless they've just started, of course. Sure. Well, let's just jump to that then. Let's talk um, about leading teams. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about leading sales teams. Um, and this is going to be relevant um, for people that run small companies. This is going to be important for CEOs. This is going to be important for sales managers. This is going to be important for pretty much anyone that is senior in the company that, that yeah. wants to make more sales, right? And wants to do it cost-effectively on target and all that other jazz, right? You've led a lot of you've led a lot of sales teams. What's the most important thing, in your opinion, for leading a team? A couple of things I'm going to say, and 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 no particular order, but um, coaching, right? Coaching is absolutely fundamental, and I'll go into a bit more detail. Cadence or drumbeat is absolutely important, and training. And then I'd probably add another one, which is culture. So let, let's talk about those uh, again in, in no particular order. And I'll start with cadence and drumbeat because this is kind of what everybody understands and it's, it, it's easy. So it's the idea that you need to set a very clear agenda or a very clear understanding of what other elements of high performance and success. So in other words, someone comes into my organization and, and if they're smart, they'll say, hey, what, what, what do I have to do to be successful? Let's say they, they're not experienced. Or what's your approach to success in this organization? And I'll say, here are the basic cadence elements. In this business, you need to make eight face-to-face calls uh, a week or you need to make uh, 50 phone calls, eight, eight face-to-face calls a week. You need to have... Uh, five times validated pipeline. You need to have three times qualified pipeline. You need to have 10 active deals in a quarter, right? This is, you kind of set up some metrics uh, for deals over uh, 50,000 or 5,000 or or $50, whatever the scope of the organization. You need to have a sequence of events. You need to have understood what are your key next steps and you need to be recording that. So these are kind of cadences and metrics that help give people clarity as to what are some of the mechanical basics of what they need to do to be successful. Mm. They're the basics, right? Because mm-hmm. I can make 10 face-to-face calls a week, but if I don't have core skills, empathy, and listening, then they're going to be 10 useless calls. Mm-hmm. Or I can call the same guy 10 days, 10 times a week, and that's also useless. So, so this doesn't define success, but it gives you a measure a way of putting data and analytics into success so people know what they need to do. And then, now that you've given a basic framework, then the next thing you need to do is perhaps coaching, right? And so, you know, and and depending on how large your organisation is, I certainly believe that frontline managers in particular, so the guys that immediately uh, report into the, uh, sorry, the immediate managers of your frontline sales team really need to be invested in coaching, Right? And, and that is a very difficult skill to master. I, I can't say that I'm a master. I continue to refine my craft in it because it, it's really hard. And mm. it's really hard because of one thing. Too often you see someone and you know exactly what they're doing wrong. 
But if you tell them, then you've failed at coaching, right? There is a moment where you might tell them because they have absolutely no experience and you've got to tell them because they don't have no basis. But to be a true coach, you've got to guide them. You've got to kind of take them to their own answers mm. because that way it was more likely to get embedded and they will own the outcome of the action than then follows, right? So coaching in the front line is absolutely fundamental. And as leaders, we need to invest in our frontline managers to make sure they know how to coach, not mm-hmm. cater. Because anybody can say, so Alex, 10 meetings, you've done five. Pull, the, pull your socks up or you're out. And that <laughs> doesn't work, right? That gives, you, that gives you a little bump and then an exit of your sales organization. <laughs> right. But you do need to cadence it. You, need, you do need to kind of, when, when you see you've got 10 and this person is consistently doing five, it's not about why aren't you doing 10? It's like, let's understand what's impacting your ability to hit 10. Mm-hmm. You may work out that it's the third, and this is a bit of coaching, right? And that will lead to the third thing, which is training, right? Any great sales leader, front line, second line, third line knows the, the concept of activity skills pipeline, right? ASP. So uh, yes, activities, make the 10 calls, do the two visits, whatever. Um, Pipeline is, yeah, absolutely. Identify and show me that there's an opportunity for you to hit your number. There are different levels of maturity of these deals, but skills, you've got to invest in your people. People don't just come out there. I told you at the beginning of this, this is a, this is a lifelong journey now to become a professional in sales and that 60 is still learning. You've got to invest in your people and find those gaps and build those skills. Right? So that's mm-hmm. that kind of the, the third dimension. And then we talked about culture, right? Now, uh, what is it? Um, uh, there's, there's a saying, I think it's something like, culture eats skills for breakfast or culture eats catering. Culture eats talent. Talent. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. It was yeah. the guy from Silicon Valley. There you go. Mark Andreessen, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> you can adapt it to anything you want. Yeah. And it's true. And it's true, right? It's kind of like, you know, when, when your dad says, Oh, don't hang around negative people because all they do is bring you down. Right? It's true. Mm. It's in, in an organization, you know, sometimes you have this top salesperson who is just a gun, everybody's at 100% and he's at, or she is at 300%, but he's a complete asshole. Pardon my French. Yes. Right? That person is a cancer. That person has to go because that person is, the, is impacting the culture of your business and bringing everybody else down. So whilst that in itself doesn't define culture, culture is something that, that you live and breathe and, and it develops Right, I mean, of course, you can do it purposefully, but but it develops. But culture, a culture of success, a culture of fun, a culture of teamwork, a culture of winning together and losing together, a coach, a culture of openness, willing to expose yourself and say, "Hey, I got this wrong, guys. What did I do wrong? Mm. Here's what I did. Help me, someone." Right? That whole that culture, and and I believe that's a culture of success and high performance that is more impactful than anything else because what it does 
it makes the top performers bring the bottom performers up, right? And it makes the bottom performers want to push themselves up. Mm. And it makes it fun and it makes it, therefore, you don't have this peak of performance that just goes like this. It gets you more sustained performance. And then more importantly, it resonates in the market. You can build your talent bench and you've always got a good supply of people to want to join your business because you've got such a great culture. Yeah, awesome. Um, you spoke about cadence, but did you speak about the drum beat? Or is that the same thing? Is cadence yeah, well, and drum beat the same thing? Yeah, yeah. People use it interchangeably. Okay, cool. Because hey, I wrote hey, them as separate points. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. So, so I, mean, I mean, look, sometimes we use drum beat more to refer to the, the, the end of month or end of quarter pursuit on a deal. So, yeah. for example, uh, we know, not because we want it to happen, but because the client has indicated, hey, uh, we're looking to procure at the end of the month or by the 20th of this month. And then we need to sit back as a team, build a sequence of events to that date, and then establish a drumbeat, which is kind of like, depending on the size of the deal, the complexity or whatever, daily or, or twice weekly or three times weekly stand-ups, 15 minutes where you build a drumbeat. Say, so, okay, what's happening? What's next? What's the mm-hmm. next step? What have you done? What have you done? Okay, so we keep the kind of keep the momentum, Got it. energy levels up on the actual deal. But it's part, it's part of your cadence process. It's kind of like you made the call, you did the follow-up, you wrote the contract, you got legal review, you called the client, right? Mm-hmm. These are all uh, part of your metrics anyway. So there's, there is a correlation between it. Yeah, we do dailies. Um, um, yeah, we do stand-ups, yeah. which is on Zoom nowadays, right? It's like Zoom-ups or whatever you want to call Zoom-ups. it, but it's basically every day just to set that drum beat, to set that cadence. But it's interesting um, to hear it from a, in terms of the, the sales perspective as well to yeah. really keep your team on the ball, right? And, to, and I think it's also a fantastic way to check in on things. How's yeah. it going? Is there issues? Uh, you know, I have, like, because I'm sure that they, they, they could be stuck, but they don't want to bug you or they don't yeah. want to think or they're trying to figure it out themselves. And so that's a good way to stay across the team, right? As yeah, well. And, and it's a great way. And let me just add something, right? Because it does, it, it's about energizing people. But, but there's a real, there's a real catch here. Drum beats don't work if your culture is wrong. So let me explain. If you've got a culture of people bashing, of under the bus throwing, then people perceive drumbeat as, you don't trust me. You want to make sure that I told you I was going to do this, did you actually do it? So it becomes this grinding sensation and a cause for disengagement from the organization. So if your culture is not right, your drumbeat will fail. It mm-hmm. will make people do stuff. But again, remember, you know, when you beat people up, it only makes them go a little bit higher for a little while. And then. So you've got to have a good culture together. Hey, guys, let's keep each other picked up. What happened? Oh, you know, I was going to make the call uh, and I got distracted. I didn't make it. Okay, cool. Do you need some help with that? You know, because we all know we've got other stuff. All right, let, let me help you with that. It's mm-hmm. also because we get distracted. There's so much going on and the drumbeat keeps you focused on what matters, but you've got to get your culture right so that it's effective. Okay. Let's talk about culture then in a sales specific organization, right? It could be in a sales team or it can be like in a sales organization completely, right? What do you 
do if like if the culture is not productive yeah like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like oh damn i think i don't have the right culture right i thought i had it before but i had this thing in my gut that said maybe there was something wrong i heard this podcast okay i don't think i like i don't think i have the right culture like what can somebody actually start to do to change that culture yeah look um i think that people see through bullshit and um and sometimes leaders they get together and they say oh we need to change the culture they bring in consultants and then they say hey for change the culture you got to do this 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 and then they go about mechanically implementing those things because that's what they told they have to do but what they forgot is to actually believe in it themselves and live it and act it so unless you from the top are living and breathing that culture because you believe it, and, and to your point, you know, people are not, then if you're not showing that, don't expect anybody else to do mm. it, right? So it's, it, I'm not saying it starts at the top because it can start anywhere. That, you know, the seed for culture can, can really grow from anybody, but you certainly need to live it and breathe it as a leader. And that means believing in it not just giving it peace. If you don't believe in it, then, then don't apply it because people will see through it. They'll call bullshit. You've seen quite a lot of teams over the years. Um, it seems like it would be easier to step into a new role, have a team and change the culture because you're fresh and it's like it's like it's a point of change. But what if it was like if it's the same team as it was previous as it is now and now the only thing that can change is you how do you change like yourself as a sales leader and be consistent enough that your team know it's not just some fad if i just hold off for a month he'll forget or she'll forget you know like how do you as that person shift very 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 hard right um let me just say kind of a reverse answer there is a point in which you have to be honest with yourself and say i've expired my usefulness in this role or in this organization and that's okay that's not an admission of failure it just means that you're ready for something else or you've been doing this for too long it's hard to change particularly when you're putting the mirror upon yourself it's very hard to change um And this is why I say that uh, you have to want to change. So as an individual, and I'm I'm really, I'm speaking about myself here now. When when I realize that I need to change something different, I need to really soul search and say, why do I want to change? How How does that align to my values, my beliefs, my goals and aspirations in this company? And if I can attach to something that that is meaningful, either at a personal level. For example, uh, one of the things that's helped me change a lot in the last, I'm going to say the last couple of years, is my relationship with my daughter, is me wanting to get much closer to her and having her trust me so that as she gets into her later teens and she gets in trouble, she comes to dad, right? Mm. Rather than dad doesn't find out and the problem becomes worse. Mm. So... Uh, how do I, I wanted to create with us in our family a culture of openness and trust and I was really working on that. So that was a true motivation for me to change. If I can attach that to my work life and say, for example, I said, okay, 
uh, people are not trusting me. People are feeling that I'm disingenuous, that I'm just saying it, but I really am just interested in myself. Then I need to soul search and, and understand whether that's true, I believe it, and whether I want to change. And maybe looking outside and saying, well, where else could that be reflected? And, hey, that's reflected with my daughter. I better change that, and I better change that here. Because if I don't change it here, then I'm not going to change it there. So that, that's one thing I would say. The other thing I would say is um, you've got to seek feedback, external feedback. If, if you're really, really uh, invested in your team and your people, got to be okay to hear bad feedback. Hey, Gus, it turns out that when you're in these meetings, you ask people for their opinion, but then you just interject and it turns out being your opinion anyway. I didn't realise that. I'm sorry, right? And you've got to be prepared to take that and not say, thank you, now I'm going to make sure that person never gets a promotion. <laughs> Right? Let me do that. <laughs> that. Yeah. Culture, yeah. right? That's culture. culture. You've got to, so, because there are these, these fear cultures and people that don't do this. So, so you've got to be able to be prepared and open to take in feedback if you're going to change. Now, like I said, if there is no motivation outside of your, your, your organization that addresses your personal values, if you're not open to feedback, if you have a determination that you're setting your ways or no, that's how I like to run things. And maybe you've expired your usefulness and it's time for you to move on. And I mm -hmm. think that's okay. Let's go to the other side of things, right? Let's say that you are doing a good job and you do have a good team. Um, um, but now there is a person inside of your team that isn't performing anymore or was performing, but maybe they've lost some of their mojo or maybe they're not taking on board some of the new initiatives or maybe, you know, they, they're doing like good enough, but they're not, at that kind of, what'd you call it? The hierarchy of excellence or whatever. They're like halfway and they're happy a bit kind of like, they're basically happy at halfway. But how do you approach that kind of challenge? I come back to a point I made earlier. The first, your first go-to in this should be coaching. Mm -hmm. right? And remember, coaching is not telling people what to do. Hey, I noticed your performance has dropped 50%. Here's what you need to do. No deal. Mm -hmm hey, uh, I've noticed your performance is, has dropped 50%. You were previously achieving these levels of results and you're very highly respected in the organisation for your ability to constantly perform. Can you tell me about what's changed that you believe is impacting your performance? Hmm. And start the conversation, right? Hmm. And then, okay, and then, okay, so how is that impacting? It might be, uh, and, and you know, You'd be surprised when you're open and you recognize people and you tell them what you're seeing and why that's, that's important. They might tell you something like, well, it turns out that uh, my husband has cancer, right? And, and I'm more focused at home than at work at the moment. Wow, sorry, how can I help, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it might be that, hey, I've been doing this for too long. I'm tired. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Okay, great. That's also good. Maybe it's time for a career change. Maybe I need to move you into a different role because the, mm -hmm. the skills are, the, are still there, but mm -hmm. maybe the, the motivation for that sales path isn't, right? And you can't inspire if there is no motivation. So you've got to then think through your coaching, mm. find what is the new motivation. Great point. 
and then inspire that new motivation, that new path. So, so th these are a, a couple of things. Um, and look, and then there is always also a point at which a manager, and I think this is very difficult. It's, it's, a, it's a soft skill. And as managers and leaders, we, we practice this, is getting to the point where you realize there is no path for this person, right? And this is like the, the person that says, no, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to get it together. I, I'm going to work. I, I just need help with this and that. And, okay, here's your training. Here's your coaching. I'm going to go out with you on calls. And they're still not delivering. Man, maybe they've lost it. Maybe they just uh, something has changed in their psyche. Uh, or maybe the market has changed and their approach no longer works. There comes a point where you need to think about managing people into new opportunities. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. <laughs> I even like how you structure your sentences. <laughs> so eloquent. Yeah. Um, and that's okay too. Yeah, sure. So it, it does seem, well, it does sound like a large part of a sales leader's role is coaching your team. Yeah, that's a large part of it, right? Like, is that correct to say? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, it's it sort of, it, it, you should never stop coaching, but the degree of coaching changes uh, as the further you go away from the front line. So let, let me put it this way. The most effective coach is your next one up. So sales manager should be the best coach for the sales rep. The sales director should be the best coach for the sales managers and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Clear, clear. I got it. Let's then go to the other side. Well, we'll, we'll take the same point and we'll go left, right. <laughs> I'm bad with analogies, <laughs> I'm, but I keep trying to use them. Anyway, um, how do you f actually find and recruit the best salespeople? <laughs> you steal them from the competition. So are you talking about what's an awesome salesperson or how do you go about finding an awesome salesperson? Well, let's do both because okay. I like the two yeah. <laughs> points now. <laughs> they are different, right? So, yeah. um, so let, let's talk about what's an awesome salesperson first. Yep. Because um, that's a more interesting question for me, I think. Yeah. Yep. So an awesome salesperson is different depending on the stage of the market cycle that your organization is in, your channels to market, and the product or service that you offer. Wow. I was hoping it was going to be a way simpler answer, but yeah, no, this is great. No, but this is so good though. This is so good. So please continue. I'll just get someone that's coin operated or get someone that's really <laughs> up. And, and look, yes, this, this ticks on all of that, but it doesn't always apply. So, and let me give you an example now. Please, please. Statement. So, um, if, if you're starting up, okay, and you don't really have a customer base, what you need are hunters. And you hear the terminology hunters and farmers. I still believe that that is true. Mm -hmm. You need these hunters. Now, hunters, by their very nature, are people that are coin operated, that are that are risk risk takers, right? They love the challenge. You know, they hear someone say no, and they go, oh, I'm, "I'm three no's closer to a yes," and you know, they take that as a, as a, as a, as a, as an opportunity to prove themselves. You know, I'm, I'm pushing the extreme, right? Right. But there are people that are of that nature and that love that. And when you're starting to build a customer base, you need more hunters, 
than you do farmers because you've got no one to account manage. Mm. So whereas if you're in your market cycle and you're relatively well established or you haven't really innovated with new products uh, or the market has been fairly stable, then what you're doing is you need to make sure you retain your customers and you grow them and a, an aggressive, you know, no, take no prisoners kind of hunter will not work. They will kill your customer base. You need someone with a higher degree of empathy, a higher degree of listening skills, a sort of a longer term view of, of the relationship and probably not so coin operated uh, as you would a hunter, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of a, a first point around, around the market, yeah. side, right? Uh, yeah. The other thing is that um, if you're selling uh, direct to customer versus selling through business partners, it's very different, right? If I'm, if I'm trying to um, sell, um, I don't know what, what you guys do, say uh, search engine optimization, right? If I go and talk directly to uh, Coca-Cola about search engine optimization, I am the, I'm building that trust. I'm the subject matter expert. They need to believe that I know what I'm doing. Whereas if I'm selling the same service, but I'm using a business partner, then I'm using their trust. I'm using their relationship and their proximity. So now mm. my role is to empower, to, to assist, to understand the process, remove any blockages, educate, train, find the right incentives, but I'm still a salesperson, but I'm a channel salesperson. So mm. again, very different set of skills that you need. And then think about phone salespeople versus field salespeople, enterprise salespeople that need to not be egotistical that I run everything, but need to be inclusive and collaboratively and sell as a team versus the lone soldier with, with the suitcase pounding the turf. So the first thing, so this is why I say you really, to find the bet, what you need, what makes a good salesperson depends on all of these things. Now, if you want to find, because I'm sure the listeners will say, but, but, but what am I looking for in each one of those cases to <laughs> make sure that I'm hiring the right person? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, what you're looking for is someone whose motivations, their goals and aspirations are clearly aligned to what you're trying to do and what, or what you need them to do, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if I'm going to hire a hunter, I'm really looking for someone that, is, that comes to me and says, look, Gus, I really just want to buy a house by the end of the year. Um, I'm going to need to save uh, $200,000, which means I'm going to have to achieve 200% of my target, right? That is the kind of person I want to hire if mm. they're So you go for motivation there, aren't you? Yeah, that's the motivation. Their yeah. motivation aligns to my Is coin, is coin operated. It's coin, right? Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. If I want to find a, 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 a good farmer, then what I'm looking for is someone that says, look, you know, I want to make sure, I want to come into an organization where um, I'm really... I'm building good relationships with the customer. They're trusting me and, you know, we're able to grow together and I can go home and say and really point to the things that I've achieved. Of mm -hmm. course, I want to make a good living, but really building that connection and driving that outcome is going to help me. And here's the proof of where I've done it before. That's 
that's what you need to look for, right? And that's what a great mm. salesman is. So, so the, the, I think the key ingredient is, is how do you find great talent? Make sure that their motivation aligns to your requirement. And then the final thing is make sure that you don't just focus on skills. Focus on behaviors, right? Because remember, we're bringing in a person that is going to be part of your culture. And if culture is so important, you need the right behaviors. Mm -hmm. So get the basic skills. You know, are they good listeners? Can they build empathy? Um, are they coachable? Mm -hmm. Probably a big one. Are they coachable? And, um, and then what are their behaviors? How do, how do they come across in how they will conduct themselves in the organization? And that's fundamentally important, which is why you have a three-month cooling off so you can actually see those behaviors in play. <laughs> Got it. Just quick one on the hunters and farmers process, right? So the hunter will go out to start the conversation. Mm. Like, are they going to close the first sale or are they just starting the conversation to pass it to the farmer? Either. Like Either? That's, that's sales design, right? That's sales design. You, yeah, that's, but is there a thing with relationships though? Like the person that starting the relationship should stay there all the way through the first sale or is it okay to pass it off? It is okay. Halfway through? It is okay to pass it off, but it really depends on what you're selling, right? Um, it, it depends on the level of complexity or the level of engagement of the product um, and, and how you do it. So for example, I've, I've led organizations where the hunter goes out and opens the doors, creates the opportunity, understands the need and embeds themselves in the value chain. And as soon as they realize there's an opportunity, they bring the account manager. And part of your value proposition is, is Alex, so we're going to work together on, on helping you solve this, uh, this accounting problem that you've got. Uh, we're going to do that through these number of services and I'm going to bring this software. We're going to program it in. Now, once we've done that, here's the team that's going to take over and they're going to make sure that you realize value. There's some customer success team and this guy's going to work with you in terms of what you do next, right? So mm -hmm. you, you kind of don't just cut it off. You bring them into the sales process. Now, in that sense, you still close it, but you very quickly introduce the account manager. Again, depends Got on the value of the deal. It doesn't happen all the time, but it, it can happen like that. So yeah, it's, I just, it's about sales design. Yeah, perfect. Oh, man, like, so before when you said that you could talk hours and hours and hours on this stuff, you actually <laughs> can talk hours and hours and hours on and this stuff. And I wish we the here, right? I know, it's a podcast. It's not a whole course, right? Let's jump quickly to one more topic, and then we'll basically end off with some quick-fire questions, right? Um, just this last one is across the board is for everyone, right? You said before that everyone sells, right? Um, yes. But let's say somebody wants to improve their sales abilities, their sales skills, and they might be wanting to get into a sales role or they may already, you know, be in a sales role and they want to be better. Yeah. What would you advise them are the places to go to learn? Like, you know, some books or some tactics or some courses because there's no school for it, yeah. right? So what yeah. would you recommend? Because there is no university for sales, not in Australia anyway. Um, so we have to go to different places and resources to learn. But, but let, me, let me start by advising people that want to get into this amazing profession is learn the basics first. And, and some of the basics are things like understanding what is, a, what is a buy life cycle? How do people actually make decisions? You know, what are the gates they go through in making decisions? Uh, learn about 
what a sales funnel is. You know, what, what, is, what is this concept of a sales funnel and why is it important? Right? So get those basics done and then start learning some of the more uh, necessary hard skills such as how you, how you run questioning, opening questions, uh, persuasive questions, exploratory questions, open and close questions. Questioning technique is absolutely fundamental and, and it's fundamental to get it to a point where it's not canned, that it just flows naturally because you're mm-hmm. actually interested and listening. So learn some of the questioning techniques um, and, and there's some other stuff, right? And then in terms of how you do that or where you go, um, the problem with, with uh, I find with sales is that every, every couple of years, a new sales book comes out with a new approach and a new technique. But fundamentally, they're all based on the same concept, just refined for the type of sale. Like Miller-Hyman is for, you know, large enterprise selling, whereas spin selling kind of focuses more on on your mid-market, I believe, low engagement selling and everything in between, right? Challenger, Holden, Socket, yes, so many different sales techniques out there. Um, By the way, my technique is a combination of all of those. Go out and pick a, pick a technique and not, not for the sake of making that your way of learning, but for starting somewhere and then refine it over time based on who you sell with, who you sell to, etc. And then the, the last thing I would advise people that want to get into sales or learn sales is go out with other, go out with other salespeople, but find out who is the best salesperson you know or someone that knows a great seller and go over that person and see, see greatness, see great selling at work. And you know great selling. You know how you know someone is a great seller when you go out with them? Because you don't realise that they were ever selling. It doesn't talking. Feel, They're just engaging. They're, you know, they're exploring with the customer. You know, they're having a great conversation about the art of the possible and, you know, just it seems to be flowing. There seems to be no agenda. It's just happening. Mm. And at the end, the customer says, you know what, Gus? It would really be great if you could help me with this. How about I introduce you to some people? What could you do to help me progress this here? Okay, well, let, let's let's meet the people and I'll see what we can do. I mean, if you get there, you've done an amazing job. And that's what great salespeople look like. Great. Go out, um, find, go out with one of those. Find one of those and go out with them. Go with one, yeah. You'll learn more than anything you will ever learn. And just observe. And just a quick one on the question styles. Like, is there some book out there that has question styles or uh, questions? Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any, any up to my head, but seriously, uh, just... Guys, Google, uh, you know, uh, open and close questions in selling, right? Or qualification uh, questions in selling or how to qualify a customer. And if you want to really get smart, how to qualify a customer in software selling, in hardware selling, in uh, pen and paper selling, right? Mm, got it. It's, it's all out there. Because people have got great blogs, snippets, there's great webs, websites like Sales Hacker, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, Mindfest. All of these uh, sales sites that just have great, great resources. But 
caution, which is why I say start with the basics, learn that, and then pick one technique and follow it. Caution. Everybody thinks that their approach is better, and it's not. What you've got to get to is your approach. Right? So when you look around, you will start to get confused. So should I use Holden or should I use Challenger? What about socket? Now, this is more of a spin. No, this is a blue sheet approach. I'd go Miller-Hyman. Uh, I'd go unselling on this, right? <laughs> you know? I'm going to try to find a book that has an overview of all of them, you know, <laughs> so I can, well, I'm sure there's an article out there that there's does it, right? Idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, okay. Look, that's really good, man. Um, let's do some quick fire questions and yeah. then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. That's right. You have to choose just one channel or tactic for driving sales or growth. What would it be? Facebook. Facebook. You like Facebook, do you? Mate, they know everything about everyone. That's great. Awesome. Go social. If, if I had to pick one. Yeah, social. cool. Number two, what book has had the biggest impact on your success? None. That's the important thing. None. All of them. All of them. Oh, yeah. Good one. You take a little bit out of everything. Don't get... But look, I'm being flippant. If anything, and this is very 80s of me, but this, uh, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm. that, that is more successful because it's not about learning a technique. It's about having a mantra for how you conduct yourself in life. So, yeah, great. What's your number one piece of advice for hiring awesome people? Number one piece of advice. Find entrepreneurs, right? That's find people, and this is what I mean. Find people that see their sales profession as their business. And if you think about what it means to run a business, if you find someone that sees I'm, this is I'm, my business, they're going to own it. They're going to be passionate about it. They're going to make sure that they've got coverage, they've got depth, uh, find people that see sales, that their profession of sales as they're running a business, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know what running a business is, then that's a great, great trait to have. Yeah, and that's something I can kind of uh, confirm as well. Like every time that we find somebody that's tried their own like side hustle, that's spent their own money on Facebook ads, that's spent their own money on Google, trying to make money themselves, that education just by itself, that approach, that psychology of failure, constant failure to find yeah. a result yeah you can't train it and that yeah you can't. You can't. it's the determination to succeed and they and they they just they're just better people agree yeah number four um, how do you relax after a crazy day in the office oh well two things i cook and i watch mindless action movies <laughs> oh, i don't have to <laughs> love it um what's your best time time management or productivity tip to-do list daily. To-do list daily. Yeah, I love it. Same. Um, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received, if there was one? Your integrity is your single biggest asset. There you go. That mm. was said to me by uh, Brian Torrance in 2000. Yeah, right. And such an important one. But they say something like, it takes a lifetime to build and it takes a second to break, you know? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to destroy, you know? And last one, what do you do for fun? Uh, cook. 
cook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also uh, I like to I like to socialize with friends. I like to mm-hmm. just go grab a glass of wine, chat, and debate. Mm. I love. Debate. I'm the kind of guy that um, let's say I really like red jumpers. And someone comes in and says, oh, red jumpers are the best. I say, really? Why? Blue. <laughs> You're that guy. <laughs> I just want to, I want to hear the argument, right? Because yeah. you put your mind through arguments. Like I love, I love people that say, ah, oh, I hate Trump. Really? I love Trump. He's the best president I've seen ever. What? I hear the debate, right? Mm. I don't care. I want to hear the debate. It just, mm-hmm. it's good to have social discourse uh, that that sort of make I find that fun. So positive friction, you're fine with positive friction, oh, right? Positive friction, because I, yeah. I don't think didn't so. Okay. Gus, Gus, thank you so much for your time today. This has been such a fantastic podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, um, how do they do that? Uh, LinkedIn, they can. They uh, find me on LinkedIn. My uh, handle is I think GusQ2000. Oh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Put this link in the show notes. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way I respond and I'm happy to share uh, thoughts and have a debate with yeah. you. Something salesy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just kind of one small story just before we go. Um, trying to get Mr. Gus Kidogar on this podcast, I sent him, I don't know how many emails and text messages. And then the final attempt was I just picked up the phone and he answered the phone and I was like, is this a lesson in sales, dude? Or- <laughs> yes, it is. yes, it is. I don't know why people are so scared to pick up the phone and call, right? If yeah. you've got value, the customer's going to listen. <laughs> and it worked and it worked. Thank you so much, Gus. This has been such a fantastic conversation and I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, pleasure. Take care. All the best. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast. And if you need help driving growth for your company, please get in touch with us at webprofits.io.